Well, hello, Grace Vineyard. You can do better than that. Hello, Grace Vineyard. It's been a crazy eight weeks or so since I last preached. That Sunday was the last time we met at Christchurch School. It feels like so long ago. Since then, our lives have been turned upside down as we have had to do things differently. Meetings like this are now the new norm and have been such a lifeline to so many of us. But honestly, I can't wait to be able to see you all in person again. We are continuing our series on the Book of Acts, and I will be focusing in on the beginning of Acts chapter 3. This is following on from last week, where we focused on Acts chapter 2. My last message focused on a single verse in Acts, and I think it is a central pillar to Luke's letter. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 3 is all about what John Wimber would describe as doing the stuff. And I hope to draw out some important foundational points the Apostles' ministry that enabled them to carry out Jesus' commission in the all-important second half of that verse, to be his witnesses, or what I'd like to call being Jesus' hands and feet. These points are so countercultural to everything we do today, and from the way Luke writes in both his letters, it may seem countercultural to the reader. Theophilus and the people of that time. Therefore, I have entitled this message The Upside Down Kingdom. The healing of the lame beggar is one of my earliest Bible stories, memories. I think it's because we learnt about it through a kids' holiday club that our church ran during school holidays. I was probably about six or seven years old. The highlight for me was you got to watch a five minute play each day, led by a few of the Sunday school kids and parent leads centered round the theme of the day. I remember the person playing the lame beggar was brilliant in his role and there was a song that went with it. Although I didn't remember a single word, until Joe reminded me of it a couple of weeks ago. This is one of the blueprints for how the gospel is revealed to people through the mouths of men and women inspired by the Holy Spirit. And for those who are wanting to see this for themselves, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. The gospel is preached seven or eight times in a similar and simple way. If we are to read this chronologically, the healing of the lame beggar is the first public miracle performed by Jesus since, performed since Jesus' death. It was not the first miracle that the disciples had performed, 
in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 during his ministry in twos. And in that time, they perform many miracles. However, this miracle is marked by a significant difference, that Jesus is not tangibly alive. This story shows how the disciples have matured through what the Holy Spirit has done in them, enabling them to choose to stand testament to Jesus and what he has done. These choices are what develops them as leaders to take the responsibility of managing and coping with the rapid increase in the growth of this upside down kingdom. What I'm going to do with you today is slowly take you through the first 10 verses of the chapter, showing you how the disciples' obedience to the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Jesus has matured them and equipped them to share the gospel we all love and know so well. Then I will summarize Peter's speech, which he delivers at the end to conclude. There are some really short but important points to these verses, so I don't want you to miss them. So either get a pen and paper, or please listen to this again when you get a chance. Ready? Here we go. Verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Four things that we notice just about this first verse. Firstly, they were in twos, similar to when Jesus sent out the 72, modelling Jesus' instructions and behaviour. They were also going to the temple. Why did they do this? They were Jews. This was custom and they still came under God's authority. We often see it when people find something new in their lives. They somehow drop everything else and move on to that. Here the disciples were not putting Jesus above God. They were still come they were still they still came under God's authority, and they followed the laws and structures in place, acknowledging the Trinity. Again, they were also modelling Jesus' behaviour. Jesus still went to the temple and synagogues when he was alive, yet he knew he was the Son of God. It was three o'clock in the afternoon, and therefore it would have been the third and final prayer time of the day. The Jews were extremely religious and a legalistic nation and would have followed this strictly. Peter and John were entering the temple at an important time. They were going to be amongst thousands of people entering. It was a great opportunity to witness Jesus. At 3 p.m. or the ninth hour, as they called it, there would have been a sacrifice of a lamb in keeping with the ceremony. It was also the same time Jesus died on the cross, when the lamb and Messiah 
saviour of the Jews, was shamefully crucified by his people. Verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to, to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. The first thing you want to realise is this man was lame from birth. Later on in the story, you realise that he was over 40 years. That was probably more than two thirds of someone's normal lifetime back then. To have a disability in those days would have been really hard. There was no Disability Discrimination Act 1995 to support them. He would have been begging and relying on other people's kindness all his life. If you didn't have a rich family, you wouldn't have had much of a life or a hope for the future. The second thing is that he was put at the gate of the temple. Notice he wasn't put in the temple. So in one way, he was excluded from the ceremonial activities. So he was lame and he was an outcast. Therefore, he was not considered to have any value. This was the kind of person Jesus came to rescue. And indeed, it was prophesied in Micah chapter 4, verse 7. The Lord God says, I will make a, the lame a remnant and those driven out a na strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them from Mount Zion from that day and forever. Amen. The gate was called beautiful, and we know that it was the Eastern Gate. It was the same gate that Jesus entered the temple on Palm Sunday, coming in from the Mount of Olives. When the people praised him and gave him glory, it was also the gate which was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, that the Messiah would go through bringing life. There were ten gates, nine of which had silver and gold around them. The beautiful gate was the only gate made of copper and bronze. Over time, when copper is exposed to the elements, such as wind and rain, it begins to show a multitude of different colours, making it look beautiful and stand out. Many rich and well-to-do people would have come through this gate and would give money to the poor and lame like this man. But this gate would have been far from beautiful for this man. It probably reminded him of what he was excluded from. We see this in so many parts of the world where wealth and exclusivity is put right next to poverty. I recall when Joe and I went to South Africa for New Year in 2018. We wanted to go to this nice beach people had told us about. It had imitation car castles built overlooking the beach. There was a sense of grandeur and exclusivity 
but this was the township we had to drive through to get there. We also gave some local people a lift home as their taxi had not come to pick them up. We drove into the township and saw firsthand the poverty that they were experiencing. In human terms, beauty costs life. The amazing juxtaposition that Luke is showing here is that Jesus came to bring life. Verse three and four. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. How often do the weak go unnoticed? How often do you walk past a homeless person on the street without looking at them. Joe and I did a sleep out a couple of winters ago in November to support Weber Street, a day centre for, for the homeless. They interviewed a number of employees who work there. One of the employees said, people that are homeless would often go to a familiar street corner to beg. Many passers-by would try to ignore their request by looking away or pretending that they don't exist. When they were new to being homeless, it seemed to bother them, but after a while it wouldn't bother them as they became accustomed to the lie that their existence was of no importance. Some homeless people describe it as being another cement slab in the pavement. When we go to a tourist attraction and we encounter someone who is homeless, we often give them money to either get rid of them or out of our own pity and guilt. We don't tend to really acknowledge who they are, what they're going through. We just want to move on as quickly as we can. Just by Peter's reaction towards the beggar, using words like, look at us, suggests that the beggar was just going through his usual motions of asking people, but not expecting a great response. Well, not on this day. On this day, he was going to experience more than he had ever bargained for. Amen. Verses five and six. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. How often do we try to fix things with money? It seems to be the answer to everything, and yet it always falls short. Whenever we get money, it seems to never be enough. In the short term, you feel secure because you get to pay your bills and get food and clothes, but it always runs out. And say something like what we are going through right now happens. You potentially lose your job, 
all have to take a pay cut? What then? When a homeless person gets some money, there's usually only enough to buy some food with it. They often don't know how to manage money well. And so if they got silver or gold, I'm not sure he would have known how to best invest it or use it to ensure that its use was more sustainable. In my line of work, I often find myself having to throw money at things to ensure we, we achieve certain targets. In 2014, as part of their national campaign, the government gave our hospital and many other hospitals in London 1.5 million pounds to get waiting times down and hit surgery targets. It's just happened to coincide with the national elections. These were one-off payments to do more operations, but when the money ran out, we could not maintain the targets. Also, if you borrow money or take money from someone else, you often end up having to pay them back. Now we know from when I last spoke, Peter and the rest of the disciples would have not had a lot of money. That's mainly because they shared with everyone. Therefore, they could not have afforded to give to the beggar any money of any kind, let alone silver or gold. So instead, Peter gave him what every believer can give. He gave him Jesus. What Jesus did for us, you cannot pay back. You see, you see, Jesus is free to all of us. And as Peter later explains, it's not him that performed this miracle, but the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, which was made evident through Jesus. Verse seven, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When the miracle happened, there was an immediate change. Like it says, the man jumped to his feet and began to walk. When we accept Jesus into our life, we know it's because we have had an encounter with him where we know there is a change in our hearts. And then he walked into the temple courts with Peter and John. It's almost like the man was now accepted and could enter into the Lord's presence. The power of the Holy Spirit is so good, it results in immediate praise and worship of God. I want to draw to you the fact that Peter took him by the right hand to help him. Similar to when Jesus took Peter by the hand out on the lake of Galilee 
and allowed him to walk on water. So often we need a helping hand. Jesus's hand is always reaching out for you to offer you help, but it may not be the help we are always expecting. That day, the beggar was looking for some money, but instead he got something more. Through receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit, he got the ability to walk. And with that, he got his dignity back, the opportunity to become more self-sustaining and possibly come out of poverty. Notice how they walk with him into the temple. Just as Terry pointed out a few weeks ago, Jesus did with Peter, did this with Peter back on the boat, back to the boat. In fact, in verse 11, it suggests the man is still holding on to him as Peter delivers his testimony of Jesus. It is also a sign of good discipleship and leadership. When someone has encountered Jesus, they need good leaders to come round them to learn what life you should lead as a Christian. All too often, people encounter Jesus. We pray for them and then let them go to find out what God is all about by themselves. Instead of modelling to them the life that a Christian should lead and the responsibilities we have to contribute to this upside down kingdom. Verses 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the man who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, this is when the upside down kingdom has its opportunity to break out. Verse 10 is completely oozing with irony. The people are suddenly taking notice of the outcast. Notice the change in words that are used. He is no longer a beggar. He's a man. They know the gate that he sat at. And it was called beautiful. In a sense, he had become beautiful, but not from sitting at the gate. Instead, it was because he had met Jesus. The people that witnessed this were amazed by the miracle. They wanted to know who performed it. And this is when Peter showed his maturity, his experience and love for Jesus. He gets to invite everyone into the upside down kingdom and witness the power that he has through Jesus. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, gets to deliver his second sermon. And it is very similar to the first sermon. And this is why the gospel is so beautiful. I don't have the time to go through his sermon, but I would like you to notice how God works with people. He meets them where they're at. He tells them the truth about themselves and he offers them pardon. And then he demands a response. 
This was definitely a make or break moment in the kingdom. If Peter had decided to take the credit for the miracle, things could have been completely different. Instead, Peter recognized his weaknesses as a man and gave glory to Jesus. In doing so, it meant that nobody owed Peter for anything. The miracle was free and completely sustainable as it came from the giver of life. Now I know I've gone on for quite a lot and there are so many points to this message and useful illustrations that allow us to consider what God's grace and mercy has done for us. But I'd like to return to that beggar. I bet you he wasn't looking for Jesus that day, but Jesus was looking for him. He knew exactly what the man needed and he knew exactly how to give it to him. In the same way, Jesus knows you. He knows what you are going through and he knows how to address your needs. Most of all, Jesus wants to use you for his glory. You may not receive gold or silver. You may not perform a miracle as grandiose as this one, but he wants to use you. And he wants to invite you into his upside down kingdom. As lame as you are, you need to understand you are his plan A and guess what? He doesn't have a plan B. So as we go into a time of prayer and worship, can I ask you to reflect and ask God to show you the things that are stopping you from becoming the beautiful butterfly God sees you as. Then stretch out your hand and take his and allow the Holy Spirit to move. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for these stories. We thank you that they are so central to your gospel. And Lord, right now, we repent of our sins. We ask that you pardon them. And we pray that we respond to how you would require us to respond. We thank you for the beautiful picture of the chrysalis that Mark presented about a month ago. And we ask, Lord, that you will show us the beautiful butterfly and that your spirit will grow inside us as we declare the name of Jesus, Saviour of our world. Amen.